The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'm happy to be back at IMC. Uh, and uh, I always like to hear the announcements about the community. So since I was last here, seems like there's been a great growth in groups, including the ukulele group. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's awesome. And actually, I really appreciate that for my, myself, my own training. I uh, started in um, practicing in urban setting also at Cambridge Insight Meditation Center um, when I was in college, a similar-ish kind of setup to this, and um, then started doing a lot of retreats, and then um, I realized I have to update my biography because now I've hit the 25-year mark, so I can add that uh, uh, to that. And, uh, so there's many different ways of practicing, and I think it's very helpful to practice in different ways. Um, so what I want to talk to you about today is one way of thinking about our practice, um, which is about as the path of mind training, and then also particularly to talk about some practical applications of that, uh, in specific the dharma of shopping at big box stores. So this will be, <laughs> so this will be a combo talk of those two uh, experiences. So you know, the dharma is the, the teachings about the truth of the way things are. So understanding how things work uh, in our minds, in our bodies, uh, in regards to the experiential world, uh, in terms of what we take to be reality, and then understanding how we relate to that which occurs and how that might lead towards suffering or away from suffering. So understanding when the way that we're living is actually in harmony, in accordance with the truth of the way things are, and when it's out of accordance with that. And uh, one perspective is that actually the out-of-accordance is uh, a certain friction, which could be described as dukkha. So this strain, suffering, stress that the Buddha talks about a lot. So as part of the uh, path to developing an alignment with the truth of the way things are, uh, there is one aspect of it that has to do with this mental training. You know, this mental training that we engaged in here just in this previous period of meditation. But I'd like to uh, suggest that this, this mental training is actually something that we can engage with at all different times. You know, it's important during the official meditation period, of course, and to have a meditation practice, um, but also actually to get interested in the path of mind training just as a way of life, broadly speaking, you know, in all different circumstances. So there's one uh, quote from the the Buddha which he says, uh, that which we frequently think and ponder upon, this will become the inclination of our mind. So this is from the Majjhimat Nikaya uh, number 19. It is about uh, two kinds of thought for those of you who are sutta fans. Uh, But this very simple, just that one quote from that I think is very powerful. You know, that which you think and ponder upon frequently that will become the inclination of your mind. So it's kind of common sense, and yet what does that actually mean if we take that to be true? What does that actually mean? So I like to uh, create a metaphor of of considering physical training. So we engage in physical training in different ways in our life, and because it's more visible to us and it's more kind of conventionally accepted, there's an understanding of um, physical training as something that's helpful for everyone. And I think this wasn't always the case. You know, at some points it was considered more the province of a special category of people who were athletes. 
Um, but it seems like over the, the years and, you know, maybe in the 70s, 80s, sort of become more popular an idea that actually physical training is good for all of us. So no matter who you are, that it's good to be physically active in some way, and it could be walking or swimming or running or something. And then they come up with different ideas about how often that is, like three times a week for 20 minutes, or you know, then they get to revise to a different one or whatever. But generally speaking, there's a sense that like, physical training is beneficial for us as human beings, regardless of what you do. There also is an understanding that depending on what physical training that you take up, you're actually training your body in different ways. So there are different kinds of physical trainings related to building strength. So if you're doing lifting weights or something like that. There are different kinds of physical trainings that are related to uh, flexibility. There are different kinds of physical training that's related to speed, developing speed. And different kinds of muscle groups and so on, right? Um, so for myself, um, the, the path of physical training and mental training uh, have always been somewhat um, connected. Uh, I played a lot of sports in uh, my youth, and uh, one of the first kind of meditation instructions I got was uh, at one point from my dad when I was in middle school. And he said, you know, if you're nervous before a game, can you just go sit in the locker room quietly by yourself and bring your attention to your breathing. Just allow yourself to, to know that you're breathing, feel the breath for a little while, and that'll help you to settle down, and that'll help you to be able to play better. You know. So basically, this is the Anapanasati. This is like awareness of breathing, and it's true. You know, this is one tool of mental training um, for the collection of attention and actually also for insight, the possibility of insight, if there's a awareness too. So physical training, you can see this, that... Uh, in many informal ways, too, we're always engaged in physical training. So, for example, uh, sometimes you might have been on an escalator, and you can sometimes see the shoes of the person who's in front of you, you know, on a different step, and you can see that they're worn down in a certain way. You know, they're worn down either on the insides or the outsides. And occasionally you can see someone where it's, it's quite uh, stunning, like how strongly it's worn down in one way or the other. And you wonder if the person knows this or not, you know, that it's been like that. Um, and kind of what happens is the person might have a certain inclination of their step or of their um, walking to lean a little bit on the inside or a little on the outside of their feet. And then that wears down the shoe a little on that side. And then it actually makes it even more pronounced, right? So then the, because it's worn down more that way, then it becomes more and more and more and more like that. So this is akin to the mental training. You know, this is akin to the, that which you think and, and ponder upon frequently. This becomes the inclination of your mind. Uh, and you can go and check your shoes outside when you come you know, and you finish to see you know, what's, what's my story, right? Um, so it's interesting. Like, well, what's my story with my shoes? What's my story with physical training? But what is my story with mental training? You know, what, what is actually the, the inclination of my mind? So pay attention and notice. You know, it's not, not necessarily something that we uh, notice in a broad way all the time. You know, what are the different mind states and intentions that arise frequently? Uh, which of these am I following or cultivating? Uh, which of these are helpful? Which of these are unhelpful? How quickly do I notice when an unhelpful, unwholesome mind state, such as, say, rage or jealousy, arises? Uh, and how am I working with that? You know, what is the inclination of my mind in that way? There also are actually more subtle um, factors of mind, you know, such as concentration or equanimity or um, you know, mindfulness itself, uh, 
different qualities of mind, you can say, which are also being cultivated in different moments um, or not. So am I cultivating uh, collectedness or distractedness? And so not just in the meditation practice, but you know, in your life overall, just paying attention to like, what's actually happening uh, in the mind now. You know, and how is the activity that I'm doing, how is the way that I'm living my life um, contributing in some way to this or that in terms of mental training? So even as you're sitting here, there's some physical training going on. You know, some muscles are being used to hold your back up straight or the way that you're keeping your legs um, or uh, where you're putting your weight, things like that. So similarly, I'd like to suggest there's actually always mental training going on of some kind or another, intentionally or not. You know, there's always some kind of uh, uh, development that's happening. And sometimes it's development that's helpful for us and sometimes it's development that is actually unhelpful. So I'd just like to suggest that we pay attention, start to pay attention, you know, broadly speaking, with interest uh, in your life to how that plays out, like what's going on in the mind, you know, a, a general, general understanding of that. And then you, know, you can take up particular trainings that are helpful for you, uh, just in the same way that you could decide to take up a training of being more flexible, take up a training of strengthening a certain group of muscles, you know, different things like this. So a system of Buddhist meditation actually is, uh, in my experience, the most developed as far as different techniques of mental training. You know, a variety of techniques of mental training that have different possible results for us. Uh, so we're actually very fortunate to have come into some contact with this, to have some um, possibility of understanding this. And, you know, you have great teachers here, Gil, Andrea, um, others, and so many different uh, opportunities to engage in this, to practice with this, and really to experiment sort of in your life. So now as I spin out this, you know, this metaphor about mental training, physical training, for some of you, you might think like, oh no, then I already have this difficult relationship to physical training. Like I don't go to the gym as often as I should, and you know, now there's something else for me to feel guilty about, and to just kind of bum me out that I'm not doing mental training, and you know. Uh, but I'd also like to suggest that it's possible to have a relationship to this that's actually one of more um, interest, curiosity, fun. You know? So I played a lot of sports. I mentioned at some point I had a, um, some injury to my uh, knee, and uh, I had to go through some different rehab and things like that. And around the same time, uh, a young person who I knew had a similar injury, and then... Um, she actually didn't go through rehab. So I asked her parents, like, why didn't she have to do rehab? She said, well, with kids of that age, like, basically they just let them loose on the playground and they run around and they strengthen their legs from just, like, running around chasing each other and stuff. So I thought, wow, that would have been much more fun, like, you know. <laughs> so actually it's possible to have a different relationship to this mental training, you know. Like, it actually can be interesting and fun to observe, like, what is happening in the mind and then to make it be, like, play, too. You know, it's, it's serious play, but it's, it can be like play, uh, cultivating the mind, you know, uh, being on this path of, of practice. So, okay, now I'll turn to the, the uh, part two, the Dharma of big box stores. Um, so I did recently um, uh, take up membership in um, Costco, and um, I, usually I live in the city in San Francisco, so most of the time... I kind of walk around, I take public transport, I go into smaller stores. So, you know, Costco is like a whole different experience. And I'm using this, I, this talk is not sponsored by Costco, so I'm not telling anyone they have to go to Costco. But just the experience of being in a very large, giant store is kind of an American 
thing, right? Um, and it was different. You know, I, I noticed this like sort of overwhelming experience. It's a very large place. They have a lot of products. There's a lot of people, a lot of noise, right? So the first thing that I noticed is from, you know, many um, decades of training, um, my attention immediately went to the body. So kind of collected the attention on the body. And as I was walking around pushing the cart, it was just like walking meditation, you know, connection to the body. So the mental training that sort of kicked in, but you can do this more intentionally, was like not allowing the attention to be scattered by all of this stuff. You know, just in, in moments in which there's a lot going on, there can be a, a possibility of using the techniques that you've learned. And I saw people doing walking meditation out here before, right? So bring the attention to the body. And it doesn't have to be just the soles of the feet, right? But feel, feeling the body moving through space in some way, right? Another aspect of practice, especially those of you who have been to, to, on uh, retreats in certain, um, in certain systems of, of uh, Buddhist meditation training, there's this idea of guarding the sense doors. People have heard of this? Guarding the sense doors. So guarding the sense doors is actually like a wise practice of meaning like not allowing the mind to just be like, oh, what's that shirt say? Oh, who is that guy? I wonder what time is lunch? You know, it's like actually just you know, bringing the attention in a more one-pointed way, right? Collecting it. So actually not allowing the attention to be distracted by certain of the sense doors, including sight, perhaps sound, right? So you go into these big stores, and um, there's like a lot of stuff there, right? So uh, you could go through and be like, maybe I need a deck chair, maybe I need a kumquat tree, maybe I need, you know, 10,000 rolls of toilet paper, you know, right? <laughs> but it actually can be helpful to be more collected about it, you know? Guard the sense doors, like, right? Uh, if you don't, you might notice that you get to the front and you have this cartload of stuff and you're like, why did I get you know, this giant thing of dog food? I don't have a dog. It was on sale, you know, right? So pay attention, guarding the sense doors, right, in this way. Also, of course, this is a really good place to observe the mind, you know? So many different aspects of observing the mind. Uh, so observing the mind of craving, of wanting. So, you know, you go in there with a list of um, specific things that you meant to get, and you go in there, and then... As you're going through, you're like, wow, look at that coffee maker. It's so shiny. It's so pretty. Wow, they say it gives better cups of coffee. I should, you know, right? Uh, so notice the mind, the wanting mind, the leaning mind, right? Um, and uh, you know, it's kind of like keeping your dog on a leash, you know, like keeping your dog on a leash. When you go some places, if you have a dog, it's not like supposed to be off leash. It's supposed to be on the leash. So I'd say in these kinds of arenas, you know, keep your mind on the leash in, in these big box stores, right? <laughs> Uh, and notice, notice the, the mind that's careening otherwise, you know, from thing to thing, like wanting this, wanting that, right? Next, we have the um, relationship to the other beings in that particular realm of the big box store. Right? Uh, so, you know, it's kind of crowded, and you're moving your cart around, and um, someone's got, like, a giant cart. Home Depot, they have those, like, huge things, and people have lumber, and so you have to sort of maneuver around them, and... Um, so what is your relationship to the other beings in this realm? You know, what is your relationship to the other people? So you can ob- also observe the mind in relationship to this. So is there a sense of um, competition? Is there a sense of irritation, you know, of hatred, to put it strongly? Is there a sense of judging, comparing mind, you know, what that person is getting or how they're shopping or what they're wearing or anything like that? So, you know, what we think and ponder upon frequently, this will become the inclination of our mind. Right? So watch what it's up to. <laughs> watch what it's up to and see, like, is that something that I want to contribute to? Is that something that I want to cultivate? Comparison, hatred, you know, irritation. 
then you know you make your way if maybe you've got your stuff and you make your way to the the checkout and sometimes there's very very long lines um, the lines seem longer because everyone has these huge carts also right so it's like long way away um, and you can notice what is my relationship to this situation too so again like am I regarding the others as like some obstacle and um I saw this great sign once that was like, um, you know, regarding this, but about traffic, you know, being in a car. Uh, and it says, you know, you are not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so it's like, oh, shift the mindset, you know. Like we, we live in this very self-absorbed kind of narcissistic world of like, here's me and here's all the other people, carts, cars that are obstacles to my my getting out of here or whatever, getting to where I want. But uh, actually, to them, you are traffic. <laughs> you are the obstacle. So, you know, what if you, we shifted that perspective from that um, delusional view, really, you know, of ourselves as the center of the universe and just saw, like, this whole situation in a different perspective? You know, it's very helpful and it's very freeing because it take, can take you out of that uh, cycle of this, like, hatred, competition, whatever, you know. It's like samsara, you know, you're all stuck in the giant cart line, <laughs> you know, how it is. And then you could take it even further with, you know, the training of the mind. Like, it's actually possible to cultivate a sense of uh, kindness, a sense of well-wishing to all the other beings in the store, to have a sense of compassion for us all, you know, stuck in, uh, like, Costco line hell for a long time, you know? Like, here we are in the, <laughs> the realm of being stuck in the lines, right? So, you know, cultivating that, so... In your time in line, you know, notice what your mind does if you're not paying attention to it, like judging people, worrying about the time, uh, looking at the stuff in your cart again, whatever. Or you could spend the time actually intentionally wishing well for all of the people around you, right? Why not? You know, may you be well and happy. May you be strong and healthy. May you be safe. You know. May you enjoy your new mattress that you're buying. You know? <laughs> You know, them, for the people who work in the store, you know, like, why not cultivate this, this sense of kindness, of love, actually? So that's another way of training the mind. That which we think and ponder upon frequently, this will become the inclination of our mind. Right. So this is just, you know, one example of, like, a common, common type of experience that we have, um, you know, going into a, a big store of some kind. Right. Um, but really, it's something you could pay attention to all the time. Just the engagement in mental training. Understand the qualities of mind that are being cultivated in the activities that you're doing, in the way that you're doing them. Uh, and see, like, is there some way in which I can be applying this, these principles, these principles of Dharma, uh, to make my whole life this field of practice, you know, to actually be uh, intentionally cultivating the qualities of mind, uh, to be intentionally guiding the, the training of the mind in the direction of this greater alignment in the direction of a greater understanding and alignment. So if you can do this, then the whole field of your life can become this very rich field of uh, practice. Uh, and there's very interesting things to learn, you know, very interesting things to learn, both sort of psychologically, but actually uh, dharmically, about the way that the mind works, about what it's up to, you know. Um, paying attention to the precepts, you know, paying attention to when the mind gets near the guardrails of the precepts, sort of bouncing off those a little bit, you know. Uh, paying attention to the uh, intentions of the heart and mind as they're arising. 
paying attention to our relationship to uh, wisdom aspects, like impermanence or uh, understanding of ourselves as the center of the universe. You know, so much to observe in this field like that. So take it back to the um, physical training again um, for the moment. You know, there are many different times that you can see that there are people who have trained in physical aspects and um, it doesn't actually play out the way that they wanted it to. So in the Olympics, for example, you know, if people watch the Winter Olympics, there's people who uh, took up training, you know, for years in this particular sport. And then there's different predictions about who's going to win or not. Uh, And some people just weren't able to perform during that time. Uh, And... Having been an athlete and having been kind of a sports fan and watching sports, you can see that like a lot of times there's a mental aspect. You know, it's not actually about the physical aspect. Those people know how to do the physical part of what they have to do. And in fact, they have done it like thousands of times. But it's the connection of the mental and the physical together. Like the mental aspect, the mental training is not there for them in the same way. So I I watched the um, college women's basketball uh, finals over the last couple of years and last uh, last season, the Cal women's basketball team did quite well. I know down here you might be fans of other, you know, peninsula sports teams, but you know. Uh, so, so I watched the Cal women's basketball team that came to the, the uh, Final Four in New Orleans, and they did really well. And um, I watched them uh, with a friend in a um, place in Berkeley, like a little pizza joint, and um, basically, like they kind of, you know, it's called choked in the, the athletic. Uh, lingo, like they just weren't able to to perform and to win. And I said, you know, if they had a meditation teacher, they would have won that game, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they needed a meditation teacher, the cultivation of the mind, you know, like being able to um, have the collectedness, have the composure, you know, uh, understand uh, how to help the mind support the body to do what it wants to do, right? So the mental training is important for all of us, you know, not just if you're a collegiate athlete and... Um, I'll close with this. Uh, my favorite quote about this um, recently is from the uh, martial arts master Bruce Lee, who said, um, who actually was from the Bay, was born in San Francisco. I found out recently, and actually had his first dojo in uh, in Oakland too. Uh, so Bruce Lee said, uh, "Under duress, we do not rise to the level of our expectations, but we fall to the level of our practice." So under duress, we do not rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our practice. So here's a good reason to practice. You know, and practice not just during the time when your eyes are closed and seated in some posture, but really just be interested in it all the time. Uh, and I can say from my own experience that you know, the time that I've put in in practice in my life, I'm so grateful for that. You know, I'm so grateful for that. And it kicks in at different times, uh, even when it's not intentionally there. Um, and the path continues to. So I share those uh, reflections with you for your consideration. So thank you for listening to the Dharma. If you like, I think there's a a mic that goes around here. Uh, Thank you so much for this wonderful talk. I I practice uh, a musical instrument. Yeah. And recently, how can one transform the routine practice into a practice and to really enjoy how the, the, the practice can be changed into something more like mindfulness. Hmm. What, uh, what musical instrument do you play? 
violin and viola. The, sorry, the viola and what was the other one? The violin oh, okay. and viola. Right. And so when you say practice, like you mean like you do scales or different yeah. things like that, whatever, yeah. Scales, yeah. arpeggios, yeah. You know, all the different things that very routinely you practice in, and then you can be curious about very minute aspects of practicing a certain thing over and go, and it be, transforms the experience of yeah, the yeah, practicing I into a practice. I can relate to that. I also play music, um, too. And, uh, but I must admit, I don't actually like practice practice as much anymore. I just sort of play. Um, but I think there's different qualities of mind that are being cultivated in the time of practice. So um, also in the, within the kind of Buddhist psychology, there's really interesting, if, if you're interested in this kind of thing, you know, articulation of all these different qualities of mind uh, that are there, which are very you know, subtle little ones, which I think are always being cultivated in different uh, things that we do. So, or paramis too, you could say. So like the parami of like determination. You know, anytime that you have a discipline that you take up, I think there's a quality of determination. The quality of concentration, you know, that certainly is being cultivated in that. You have to pay attention, right, in that way. Um, you know, there can be mindfulness that occurs during certain times when you're actually paying attention to what is, you know, like, oh, that's not sounding right. There's like a little buzz in that, like what's going on, and then, you know, making those adjustments. Um, so I think, you know, as you, as you play the musical instrument also, like, uh, you could pay attention to what qualities of mind are being developed in that, but I think it's totally possible for that to be also contributing to, uh, to one's um, path of my mental training. Uh, for me, like I played the guitar for a long time, for example, and um, I haven't improved for like 20 years, though, I have to say. Like I, <laughs> I think I improved for like 10 years, and then I have just played sort of the same thing. But for me now, the playing of it is really like a, um, a way of connecting to uh, emotional like to emotion, I think. It's like more of expression of and connection to uh, mind states as they arise and like becoming intimate with life in that, that sort of way. Um, so I think people, the way people practice musical instruments or play musical instruments is, is different. So probably like at different times cultivating different qualities. But it's totally possible, I think, to make you know, any activity. So if you know, shopping in Costco is possible to make metal training, yeah. absolutely the <laughs> playing of musical instrument is too. Um, so one thing I just noticed that uh, you were talking about the playfulness and then you were talking about keeping your mind on a leash and I just <laughs> thought that was I mean I understand that it's, none of it's all about balance um, yeah. in different areas but um, also you were talking about um, method practice in, in line at Costco and um, you know I just had an idea that it'd be cool to actually do some of that out loud. Not necessarily like maybe be well to random people out loud, but I mean, say hi to somebody, and and that's that's really does generate goodwill. All yeah, around. yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is possible to actually actually talk to people in a friendly way, and <laughs> um, although also noticing whether or not those people want to talk to you too is an aspect of meta. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's interesting the thing you're saying about the, you know, how is it play, but then, like, I'm talking about keeping the mind on a leash, so, uh, you know, dogs don't usually find that fun, perhaps, you know, <laughs> to be on a leash, so how is your mind, how is that fun? And I think there's, there is some, there are many, like, paradoxes in spiritual path, you know, um, 
like that, you know, sometimes when we're most alone, we can actually feel most connected. You know, that, that if we're actually, sometimes if we're alone, it can allow us to, uh, it's, it's not actually about loneliness per se, you know, but it's, it's possible to access an aspect of uh, connection more deeply uh, and to know that. Or, um, and this is true in many different spiritual systems, there's this idea that actually, you know, a certain amount of discipline or uh, even sort of obedience or loyalty, you know, actually can bring a measure of freedom. Uh, and this, this is counter to a lot of like American ideas of like freedom means being able to do it like whatever the heck you want like all the time. Um, but even like with the, for example, with the examples of musical instrument or um, with playing sports, right? Is like actually engaging in some kind of discipline allows you to strengthen those muscles, or you know, like doing the scales and stuff gives you the facility with that that then allows you to um, play a musical piece that might seem more like play, you know, um, with more dexterity. Um, or that actually allows you to improv better, you know. Uh, so it seems like kind of counter, um, it's, it seems like they're opposite, but I, I would say that they're actually, um, they actually support each other, like a certain amount of, of uh, discipline can help us to have that sense of freedom. And, you know, even just the, the observation of like, what's it like like, what's the mind doing? Like, to me, it's just even fun to see that. Like, because a lot of time, if you're engaged in some mental discipline, um, the mind is not going to want to do that necessarily. It's not going to naturally do that. Uh, but it can be just kind of fun to observe that. You know, I guess if you don't have a full attachment to, what, to, to the mind and what it's up to, it's like the wanting mind can be humorous to see. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the ridiculous things that it wants. <laughs> And, uh, you know, if you, it's like you could just do experiments with this. This is kind of like play. Like, don't check it. Don't check it in any way. You know, go through and then see at the end, like, what's in your cart. And you're like, why do I have this? Like, what, you know, you know like, like observe the mind that's projecting these stories. And, um, I mean, for example, you know, some of the, the projections that can happen through delusion is like this idea to take it back to like refuge, you know, like what will make me happy? It's like, and we're constantly getting into these, uh, delusions that's like, if I had this thing, I will be happy, right? Like, if I had this thing. Now, of course, there's a sort of insert photo here thing going on in that story. It's like, if I had this <laughs> person, object, coffee maker, whatever, like, my life would be great, you know? Um, so then the mind leans towards it, and then sometimes we get it, and then, you know, you sort of observe the cycle of that not seeming to solve all of your problems and make you permanently contented and uh, in a state of... Uh, complete liberation from the coffee maker, right? So then you just have to observe that with humor sometimes, like watch the cycle, I think, you know. So in that way, even, uh, you know, either it can be sort of an off-leash moment or an on-leash moment, but there's, there can be some play in that too, like it, just of, of interest of observing the mind. Um, and you can kind of get interested in it, kind of like, like if you were like, now I'm, I'm s- switching metaphors, so hopefully it's not too confusing because different metaphors come to me. It's like, if you were like an animal tracker, you know, you get interested in like, like, oh, I want to learn about this, um, this animal, like, uh, like bobcat or something, you know. So you then you sort of start to watch it, or let's make one that maybe people are less scared of, like a deer. So then you start to like watch it and be like, oh, where does it sleep? What does it eat? Um, what does it like to do? Uh, does it hang around in groups or individually? Um, 
to the sleep lying down or standing up. You know, so you get interested in this kind of thing, and then you learn that by watching it. So similarly, what I'm suggesting is like to understand the mind, you kind of get interested in it. Like, oh, what is it doing in Costco? You know, it's like looking at different things. It wants different things, or it's getting very selfish, or it's like incredibly happy, or it's projecting, you know, like, like what's happening to the mind? And even then, you know, what are the qualities of mind? Oh, like here's distractedness is easily happening. Like concentration is dissolving, you know. Um, so just being interested in, in that, like you're going to learn a lot about the mind. And, and doing that with some spirit of kind of fun and uh, even like love, you know. Um, so many people love their pets, right? Many people love their pets and have this relationship to their pets. They're like, oh, look, my dog is sleeping. I wonder if it's dreaming. It's like batting its eyes. Or like, oh, look, it likes this food and not this food. Or um, it enjoys this park. Or, you know, so people who have this relationship with their pets. So it's like that, like, to your mind, maybe, maybe pet is better metaphor. Like, beloved pet, be interested in it. But also, you don't want to let it do anything. You don't want to just let it, like, pee on people or, you know, bite people or, you know... You have to pick up its poop. Like, you know, you have to be responsible about it. So it's kind of like that with the mind. Just be interested in that way. And then, then it becomes kind of fun, too. So, so that's... Uh, I, I like this metaphor now. I'm switching over from this. You know? <laughs> this is a better metaphor. Uh, you know, it's like it's doing these things anyway, you know? Like, it, it is doing these things anyway. So it's like, oh, I could pretend that it's not pooping over there, but it actually is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So then you're trying, you're like, you could go and clean that up or, or you could just pretend that it's not because you want to believe yourself to be more spiritual than that or, you know, whatever. Uh, so, you know, it's helpful to be responsible and attentive to what the mind is up to. Yeah. And, and then, you know, it was like with, with dogs, right? If, it, if you allow it to continue biting people or something, then it'll keep doing that. It's not like, uh, you know, it has, a, it's, it's like habits, habits, right? Habits of mind. Um, so it's good to notice, like, well, what are the habits um, and, and this aspect of being really honest too, you know, being um, as much as possible willing to see whatever it is that's up is really helpful. Uh, because there are some aspects of the mind that are like beautiful and um, naturally occurring, uh, seem- seemingly like, you know, habits of mind that are very wholesome and love, generosity, different things. So it's good to see that and acknowledge that. But also to be really honest when stuff comes up that is not that, you know. Uh, and even if you feel like, oh, I don't want to tell anyone else about this, at least to yourself, be honest. You know, observe that aspect of mind. And then you can figure out how to deal with that accordingly, right? So a real honesty is helpful in the path of mind training. You know, just like if I pretended like, oh, my, I'm, you know, I can see I hurt my wrist doing something. This is actually from that kind of thing. I try to pick up something very heavy, and I was not strong enough to do it, and my wrist bent the wrong way, right? So, you know, I could have maybe acknowledged that I wasn't strong enough to <laughs> do that in that moment, but botched that the particular one. So, uh, so that's what happens. Um, so, you know, developing an understanding and honesty in relationship to what you see in the mind is really helpful uh, with compassion, you know, with love. Yeah, sure. Okay, a um, couple of things. One is that uh, uh, Gil once made a comment that um, you should observe your mind like you're the anthropologist from Mars, which I liked. <laughs> um, I really liked your talk very much. Um, I noticed that some more painful part of the mind is when I, I worry or I stress about something. So it's my self-judgment as opposed to the cravings. I guess that's more the aversion type. So I guess the same thing would apply just to kind of notice the 
wiliness of the mind and the delusions that way and um, be more compassionate about that, that, oh, that ha thing hasn't happened yet, I'm worried about it, and just notice that that's where my mind goes because it's not reality, it hasn't even happened yet. Um, and I had a question when you said you sort of centered yourself by going back to the body. Did you do it by doing, um, noticing what was happening in your body and also the emotions or, as opposed to the story? Mm, okay. Um, in that case, it was more just the attention. And, and it's interesting that it happens sort of automatically now, sort of our training. Like I think you know, the mind doesn't like being that distracted. So then it was like, come back you know, in some ways. So then it was just connecting to the physical experience of the body, not in a super detailed way, actually, but just the sense. I mean, even like right now, you could be like, okay, feel yourself sitting in the chair, feel the contact with the floor, with the back of the chair, you know, even just as simple as that, and using that as a grounding place for attention. And then meanwhile, other things could be going on that you know about, sounds, sights, whatever, but then there's a sense of like groundedness in the, broadly speaking, in the experience of the physical body like that. Number one. Number two, the other thing you said about, you know, noticing worry and obsessing and kind of thing. So, yeah, it's very helpful, for example, to be honest, like, oh, this is a pattern of mind. You know, this is a habit of mind that's there. Um, and then there's many different ways to work with it. So then we get into, like, the specifics of the mental training, you know, in regards to specific patterns that are observed. Uh, and actually, the next sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya, Majjhima Nikaya number 20, uh, has a, a lot of helpful... Um, tips on uh, how to deal with these different states that arise that are ones that we don't want, that are unwholesome or unhelpful, you know. Uh, and so there's actually a wide variety of strategies that can be used. I mean, one is just feeling the pain of that, you know, allowing yourself to really soak in the dukkha of that state, right? Uh, another for different states of mind is actually to cultivate the opposite, you know, to specifically cultivate whatever the opposite is of that state, right? Uh, sometimes it's to reflect on the uh, actually unwholesomeness in some ways. And, and the metaphor, the Buddha also really like metaphors. The metaphor he uses like, um, as if a youth real was who, who enjoys adornment uh, noticed that they were wearing a necklace made of uh, dead animal corpses. <laughs> so it's like uh, reflecting on the stuff that comes up in your mind that's unwholesome. It's like, ooh, like, you know, like, wow, that's icky, you know, like dead squirrel necklace, that's, you know. Um, so in that way, just like seeing like, oh, these are, it, it, what that means is just really recognizing like, oh, these are unwholesome states of mind, you know, like unequivocally. Because a lot of times delusion is that we don't see the ones that are unhelpful or unwholesome uh, as they are, right? Like, and partly they're being driven by the fact that on some level they seem to be helpful to us, you know. It's like the unenlightened mind's best guess about what to throw at a situation, <laughs> you know, is to hate it or to worry about it, or, you know. Um, so uh, just having compassion with that, but actually really seeing, allowing yourself to really get as much as clearly as possible, like, oh, this is not a helpful state, like this is unwholesome. And a huge part of practice is actually just, you know, knowing that you would rather that the mind was not doing this, but it is doing it, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, so then, you know, there's a relationship to that too, like wishing it was otherwise or whatever. But you know, um, that's when it can get really interesting in the in in practice too. So then you can like, oh, okay, this is a particular pattern that's there. Like, let me see that, get interested in it, 
you know, then if you get really interested in it, you can actually even get excited when it's like, oh, look, self-judgment's coming up again, you know, and then it's like, you know, then we work with that in that way. So then it, it just really becomes interesting, and it's all the time. You can notice that when you're in traffic. You notice that when you're in the bathroom. You, notice it, you know, it's just like a very rich field for uh, learning, really, you know, learning and inquiry. So. And there's actually so many times when, you know, some people say, like, oh, that seems really hard to do because, you know, I have a job and I have a family and, you know. When you actually start to pay attention, there are really large swatches of time when we do not actually have to be directly engaged with the intellectual content of what's happening. You know, surprisingly large amounts of time, even just in between times, when you are walking to the bathroom, when you are standing in line for food, you know, this and that. So we have this idea that it would be really hard to do this. It actually doesn't mean that you have to, in fact, change what you are doing anymore. So in some ways, this is easier than saying, like, you must sit this much of time, right? It's just while you're doing whatever you're doing, you know, having a different lens of observing, you know, of being interested. Uh, and just of taking that as mind training, you know. Yeah. So maybe one more and then we might be done. Yeah, go ahead. So you've been talking about mind training that we can do in the moment. And I'm curious if there's other practices you recommend also in terms of things like writing or in dialogue with uh, another person, things like that. Yeah, I mean, different people um, certainly find uh, various practices helpful to be able to understand the mind, right? Um, so yeah, like some people through journaling can reflect on, like what were the mind states that arose for me that day or what are patterns that came up or, or you know, therapeutic type things or certainly in, in um, conversation. So yeah, all those things can be supports to that too. Um, in some ways, the, the mental training that I'm suggesting, which is more the, um, it's, it's like the most subtle and, and kind of the most direct to some extent, but also all those other things are, are good and helpful um, supports as well. So uh, whatever works, you know, I mean, I'm like not that, uh, <laughs> like you don't have to be that brand loyal or something, I feel like, you know, just like whatever works to help to cultivate the mind, you know, um, then use that. And when it stops being helpful, then let it go and just, you know, pick up something else. But just if you keep interested in this throughout your life, you know, there are many different levels of, um, of training, of development that are possible. Um, and it's really like an endless field of, um, of cultivation that's possible, you know, on more and more subtle levels. So, so I hope I've uh, been able to transmit some enthusiasm for this. <laughs> so... Um, Whatever you think and ponder upon frequently, this will become the inclination of your mind, the Buddha. And uh, under duress, we do not rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our practice. So please practice well, my friends. So let's just sit for a moment then. <laughs> 